0: Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo, on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo.
1: I right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Big addition on this Wednesday May 10th episode, we got a little bit of everything on the docket. We're going to be talking some NFL. Of course, this is an ECU-centric show, but later today, we're going to visit with Steve Berline, the former Carolina Panthers quarterback, also a current NFL analyst. So We're going to talk NFL draft, Carolina Panthers, Bryce Young heading to the Panthers, and a whole lot more with Steve Berline. We also got a ton of ECU news, transfer portal, the Pirates just added a new receiver, Major position of need. We'll get into that here shortly. New addition to the coaching staff from an offensive analyst perspective who has some offensive coordinator experience. We'll talk about that. We got ECU baseball coming up later today. Old Dominion hosting East Carolina. That'll be a 3 o'clock first pitch. You can hear it on 94 3 of the game. Scott Rogers will be on the call here on this exact station. We may get into the hosting discussion. ECU starting to creep up the RPI as well. And maybe we'll even talk about Mike Oresco's long statement. If I read it in its entirety, it may take the entire hour. But we're live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube. Philip Pilkington is in studio with me. Philip, we got a lot to talk about, man. NFL, ECU. I guess we'll uh, we'll start with ECU. I'm excited about visiting with Steve Berline later. We can kind of talk about Panthers a little bit here um, here shortly in our in our football segment to start off with. But the Pirates. It's been a busy offseason in terms of adding some transfers, and wide receiver was arguably the biggest need. ECU addressing at least part of that last night, getting the commitment of Keelan Marion, a UConn transfer, and not the biggest household name, so to speak, but if you've been following this recruitment, a guy who had a standout freshman season in 2021, originally from Georgia, as a freshman for a pretty bad UConn team, had 28 catches, 474 yards, nearly 17 yards a catch, I think around 16 yards a catch, uh, which led the team. Big time deep threats. and you look at this, this wide receiving corps, we kind of have a lot of questions about this East Carolina offense heading into 2023, Isaiah Winstead gone, CJ Johnson gone. This guy, I think, will at least help pick up some of the slack. He's a pretty proven product.
2: No, he definitely will. And one of the biggest questions that I had, not that there isn't more than just one, is who's going to be that deep threat guy? Now that Jalen Johnson has moved into the slot, it's clear what role they want Jalen to play. And that role is not the top part of the route tree. We needed a guy who could push the ball, well, sorry, who could catch the ball from a quarterback who pushes the ball down the field and uh, run that top part of the route tree because home run plays are very much part of the game in 2023.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and explosion plays. We saw it so often last year, Keaton Mitchell. you know how, how good did he make the ECU offense at times? If they were sputtering, Keaton Mitchell would bust off a big run. Uh, and you, you lose that now with Keaton Mitchell. And I think you lose part of that with the ground game. Yes, you got Javius Bond coming in as a freshman with some explosiveness. But I think you're going to have to make some plays over the top with the passing game. Just have uh, Hatfield is back. He's one of the few guys who are returning for this football uh, receiving core. That, that you know we know can take the top off the defense. The interesting thing about Keelah Marion, I have a VIP write-up on, on hoistedcolors.net, kind of looking at three things or three thoughts on him. So he had an elite pro football focus grade, Phillip, on passes 20 yards downfield, 95.6. For people that don't understand pro football focus, they grade players on a scale of 0 to 100. So he's about as good as you can get on passes 20 yards down the field thirty five percent of his targets during that standout freshman season came on passes twenty yards down the field or more. So a guy who to me when I watch the film, great athlete, not the biggest dude in the world. He's about six foot two hundred, so he's not tall. I think he's built pretty well, but uses his speed and then the other thing is he can catch the short pass and make a big play out of that. So we were talking, you know, before the show, hey what type of receiver is this guy gonna be? I don't think he's gonna be maybe the the third and three third and four hey let's go get a first down guy necessarily but i think he's the guy who at any moment in the game kind of hit that big play it is
2: and um that can be a game changer and that's, you know, you mentioned we lost it with Keaton. And obviously, we'll need to still find it in the running game. But it's big to have in the passing game. It's such a passing game nowadays as opposed to what it was in the early 2000s and even going back into time. So I really think that's good. I think that he and Josiah could complement each other very well if they're both on the field at the same time on opposite sides. So I think that'll be good. And then you mentioned, yeah, he probably won't be that third and four type guy. But I think that we do have a few of those guys, and especially a guy like Jalen Johnson as well as having Shane Calhoun come back anyways.
1: Yeah, I think you, you kind of look at the slot position with Jalen moving there, and I think you ideally want that slot guy to be the possession receiver, and I think with Shane Calhoun and Jalen Johnson, you, you kind of like those options. And we know with Mason Garcia, if he's going to end up being the starter, he's got a huge arm, so adding a guy like Marion makes sense, along with ja- Josiah Hatfield. Alex Flynn showed in the spring game he can push the ball down the field. He had a big play to Josiah Hatfield as well, so – I think this is the first of two receiver additions via the transfer portal, at least during this cycle. They also had a visit from Colorado transfer Chase Soul over the weekend. He is visiting BYU this week, so look for him to make a decision. He's more of a bigger 6'3 guy who uh, actually has four years of eligibility remaining, a really, talent, really talented guy from Colorado. And so if they're looking at him, looking at a few other receivers. I would still expect ECU to potentially add another wideout. Uh, they actually have two scholarships there. Mike Houston said it a few weeks ago on our inaugural Hoist the Colors program. But as you look at this thing right now, I believe that is 13 or 14 transfer commitments here. I'll pull up the numbers here on 24-7 Sports. You 14 commitments via the transfer portal. We talked about Dustin Hall, the offensive lineman, last week. Here and there may add another DB here soon who's expected to announce. I really think you're getting to the point, Philip, where your roster is, it's looking pretty complete. I think mean, if you can add another receiver, I've heard they may try and add a punter. But outside of that, this team is starting to kind of take its form. What do you think on, on the surface? I know there's still a lot of unknowns, but do you feel like it's been a pretty productive offseason in terms of replacing some some key guys?
2: No, I think it has. Um, it's one of those things where because, and we've kind of we talked about it, I think, with basketball the other day, about you can almost have to revamp your roster every year, maybe not quite to the extent in football just because there are 85 guys right. so many can leave only somebody can um, you can bring in but overall on paper it looks good but these guys a lot of them haven't played together before and obviously they have not played any game together before so um, I guess only time will tell and there are uh, 12 specific days this fall that I think will tell a lot of that but you know on paper I'm with you I think that it It looks as as good as it can, given the circumstances, the fact that we lost as many guys as we did. But um, we'll see how everybody meshes.
1: Yeah, a lot of moving parts, especially on offense, and certainly they brought in new defensive pieces as well via the portal. But I feel good about the defensive line there, what's returning there. And then I look at the offense, and we talked about the offensive staff. Donnie Kirkpatrick remains in place, but Raquan Boyette goes from receivers coach to running backs coach because, of course, Chris Foster went to Northwestern. You have a new tight ends coach in Aaron R. as Latrell Scott went to Maryland. So basically almost the entire offensive staff has changed. Steve Shankwater steps back from coaching. Alan Mogridge takes over as the O-line coach. So a lot of changes on the offensive staff. And then a new addition was added uh, yesterday or announced yesterday. This I think was done about a week ago or so or in the process of being done. Uh, Shane Montgomery has been named to the offensive staff as an offensive analyst per an announcement from Mike Houston on Tuesday. He brings 32 years of Division I coaching experience, including four years as an FBS head coach, and 16 years as an offensive coordinator at both the FCS and FBS levels. He was most recently the OC quarterback coach at Buffalo the last two seasons. So, look, these analyst positions – are interesting to me, Philip, because you can kind of pick and choose. Hey, do you want a younger guy to kind of do some different things? or you want to bring in a veteran coach to maybe help out what's looking like a younger offensive staff under Kirkpatrick? So I, I, I see this as a home run hire because obviously Kirkpatrick has done a, a solid job with the offense, but now you even add another guy with quarterback experience as you're bringing in, you know, a new starting quarterback and you're adding a little bit more to your offensive medium room because this guy's been around and done a, done things at a pretty high level. And a lot of offensive analysts, or analysts whether it be offense or defense,
2: this day and time do seem to be younger guys. No. And I think having that 32 years of experience, especially with, like you mentioned, a much younger staff, it's good to have a second older face in the room, a second experienced guy next to Donny Kay. Obviously, I don't have exactly how many years Coach Patrick and Ben but obviously, yeah, a lot. So to have the two guys at the helm really able to mentor these young coaches, these new coaches, and you need chemistry with these coaches as well. And when you've got a guy who's been around as long as he has, who played FBS quarterback at a Power 5 program, who has been a head coach, who
1: has been around the game as long as he has, he will ultimately be a huge jail guy, I think, for the staff. I think for me, Mike Houston, you look, they've lost coaches during his five-year tenure thus far, but it seems like every hire he makes is a quality one. He's got great connections. He's built a strong foundation here. Guys want to come on this staff, and we're we're seeing that, whether it's an analyst role, whether it's an assistant role, so he continues to hire strong. And and we're going to try and get a few of those new guys, maybe Coach Roberts, the new receivers coach, Darrell Roberts, along with Alan Mogridge on the show in the coming weeks as well. They're, They're out recruiting right now which we're following on hoistedcolors.net as well. So we wanted to get some football talk, uh, specifically ECU football, at the top of the show. We're going to talk a lot of baseball later on as well. Let's let's switch gears, Philip. Let's talk some NFL. By the way, if you're, if you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube watching and you do have a question, uh, it can be NFL, it can be ECU, whatever. Drop it in. We'll address it on the show. If you want to call in and talk about the new commitment or recruiting or anything, Two five two five six one eight two five five. Again, anything ECU related, we'll we'll tackle. We're, we're talking to Steve Berline around twelve thirty. So obviously, we can't talk to him. But if you want to talk in the next few minutes, two five two five six one eight two five five, or any comments on our social media pages. Let's talk some NFL, Philip. We're we're big NFL guys. So, you know, of course, this, this is the ECU show. But look, it's May tenth. We can only talk so much ECU. We got ECU baseball coming up later. We're going to talk to Steve Berline who was in the league for a long time, will get his take as well. But some some big scheduling news dropping today. Now, all right, let me ask you this, Philip. The schedule releases May 11th as, as far as the entire schedule. Yep. And, like, it's almost become – the NFL is such a machine. Like, the NFL has become, like, this just incredible – everything is appointment TV. Is the yep. schedule release, is that appointment TV for Philip?
2: Yeah, I've always been huge on the schedule release. And I think it may be growing up in a city – where I was close to a team, right. and you know, and the fact that I got to, I was fortunate enough to go to as many games as I did when I was younger. But no, I love it. I want to know when my team's playing in prime time. I want to know how bad the Thursday night matchups are. How <laughs> much I'm going to right. have to hate watching football every Thursday night. But no, I love the schedule release. Um, especially, it's always interesting to see who the Lions are going to play and who the Cowboys are going to play on Thanksgiving, as well as the international games because I love getting up at nine thirty and watching football all day. And they actually released the international games uh, today.
1: So any any appetizing matchups on the international games? You, I think you have it pulled up in front of you, and you know, for me, I almost forget their own half of the time outside of fantasy football, yeah. Um, because I have to set my lineup, or I miss you know miss a, a start here or there. But any any ones that look pretty good on paper? So the biggest one I like—they they have the three London games first. We got
2: Jacksonville, Atlanta, Buffalo, Jacksonville, and Baltimore and Tennessee. I like the Buffalo Jacksonville. Um, you know, Jaguars won the South last yeah. year. Their offense is coming in. They still got some holes on defense, but hey, that's the same style as the Buffalo Bills. That can be a very high-scoring game for the fans in London.
1: A couple of ECU ties there, right? Zay Jones, there you uh, go. With the, the Jaguars, and you said the Ravens. Yeah, well. Ra- Ra- so
2: Ravens, Titans. So hopefully, we we'll would see Ke- Keaton Mitchell, Keaton Mitchell, Mitchell. over
1: uh, across the pond, as they would say, over
2: in uh, in England.
1: I wonder if they take. And you may or may not know this, but do they take the practice squad over the sea overseas? I would think. You know, because you got to have the practice leading into the game, I would think they almost do take the entire team along with the, the practice squad. But I wouldn't think if he, so. makes, if he doesn't make the 53, if he makes the practice squad, that could be a good experience for him. So, Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, look, I, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. You're a Carolina Panthers fan. It just so happens we'll be talking to Steve Berline, who played for both those teams. Maybe that's why I'm having him on the show. Probably. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's – I, I don't know, man. I, like, with the Broncos – They've been so bad the past few years since their Super Bowl, they have not made the playoffs, and it's just been it's been sad. So like back when Denver was really good, Peyton Manning, uh, obviously, at like NFL schedule release for me, it was like, man, I have to know the second it comes out. I'm checking Twitter for leaks all day long. That's how I am. And now like I don't like maybe it's just because Denver's so bad and I have no expectations. God bless Russell Wilson, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know I just I don't know I'm, I'm not. As excited, I'll check it probably online. I won't watch the TV program, but so you're the guy who's like checking for leaks all day. Oh yeah,
2: I want to know all day long, and I can understand
1: that because now it does kind of come to
2: the point. It's like, well, which team gets to kick the Panthers' butt week one? Which team gets to do it week two? So it's not as fun as it used to be. Because obviously. Back when you guys were good, was about the last time we were good, yeah. Yeah, we were one of those three straight division titles while you guys were making two Super Bowls there in a the span of three years. So maybe it's not, but I am always intrigued to see, like I said, games that don't right. expect my team. Prime time games such as like the Christmas Day game, which which got released today, which is going to be Giants Eagles, and I, I like that. I,
1: I, they put up two good fights yeah. last year against each other. I think it's going to be a good one. That should be a good one. And so, all right. So, how many prime time games do you forecast for the Panthers? How many one. did they have last year? We had, I think we've had one each of the last, like, three years. I think uh,
2: they played the Texans this year. So I think the fact that they're going to – it's going to be the me, crappy be
1: Thursday night. Thursday oh, night no.
2: before oh, – I don't know, Prime Video starts right at the beginning. I was about to say, you know you used to have, like, two weeks right. NFL Network before um, Fox took over. But, no, it's going to be, like, some crappy Thursday night game. C.J. Stroud against Bryce Young. There you go. That is that is the Panthers' one prime
1: time game. Maybe the Bryce Young factor gets some more, but, uh, yeah, I'm – I think Denver had like five or six last year. There's no way. Yeah, how, come Denver. on. No you more. You guys like the primetime. Cowboys.
2: You get. You can stink and get. I remember one year the Cowboys won like five games and had six prime time games the next year. It's like you have more prime time games than how many
1: games you won last year. What the heck? I think a lot of it was the Russell Wilson factor, and now that that's dampered quite a bit, I think maybe they'll have two. Just because Denver is a pretty national fan base, it is. But I, I vote for no. No primetime games if it's going to be like last year. But uh, yeah, I don't think the Panthers should be getting
2: many. Right. But I, I think they'll get one. Yeah, you guys probably get two. You guys always seem to have at least one night game against yeah. an division opponent, whether it be the Raiders or the Chargers. Raiders,
1: Chargers, Chiefs. Yeah. yeah, even like that first Monday night. You know, they like to stick the AFC West or the NFC West as the yeah. second game. Exactly. So I could see that. But all right, we'll have more NFL talk a little bit later. Again, we'll visit with Steve Berline around twelve thirty. Let's take our first break right now. On the other side, we'll talk some East Carolina baseball big game at three o'clock today against the old dominion monarchs we'll talk about how important that one is we'll also talk about ecu being back in the hosting mix i think baseball america has dropped its new projection so we'll discuss that as well you're listening to hoist the colors on 94.3 the game
2: it's game day pirate nation as east carolina gets set to travel up to Norfolk to take on odu
1: Welcome back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Welcome go the Show. the game. All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors. Stephen Igo here, host of the show, joined by Philip Pilkington in studio. Set to visit with Steve Burline here in the next 10, 15 minutes or so. We'll give him a call after this segment. Let's talk some pirate baseball. In the meantime, we just talked ECU football and a little NFL. But big baseball game today at 3 o'clock. Of course, the game was scheduled originally for Tuesday night in the minor league park up in Norfolk. That was rescheduled due to some travel problems for ODU, also some potential inclement weather. This will be the second matchup between ECU and ODU this season. The Pirates previously, before the last game, which they won 7-3, had gone a couple years without a victory over the Monarchs in baseball. But they won that game back on April 11th, 7-3 to inside Clark LeClaire Stadium. But this is a big one tonight. Obviously, every game is important this time of year. But when you're looking at ECU's future prospects, and we'll get into kind of the hosting discussion here in a second, ECU 23 in the RPI, ODU sitting at 68. So this is a top 100 team. You're on the road. Philip and I were talking in the break. If you win this game... You could potentially leap into the top 20 in the RPI, which is probably, in ECU's case, the bare minimum of where they need to be to really be in the hosting mix. You're not going to have a chance to really improve your RPI setting this weekend against Memphis, which is a lower RPI team. So this is a big game tonight, Phillip, just obviously for momentum but also for the resume
2: yeah and you know you mentioned the momentum side of things. You just finally took three games on the road. You finally proved yourself that you can play on the road, so I think this speaks a lot about their confidence level. but yeah, I mean, look, hosting is not off the table. I think a national seat is, but if you lose this one. Is it maybe safe to say? I don't know, host. And it's not that I think this game hurts you that much. It's just the help that you need right. to become a host. I mean, this is the best road game we have the rest of the year. Because I don't know what uh, South Florida's RPI is, but I can guarantee you it ain't 68.
1: Yeah, it's, I think, in the mid mid-100s, I believe, so... I'm um, trying to scroll through and see here. It's not good. Yeah, one 176. Yeah, zero. so winning there is not yeah. going to help you a whole heck of a lot. The good thing is you should play them three times, right. but uh, still not going to help you a lot. So, so you know, I, I don't think losing tonight takes it off the table, but it definitely it leaves almost zero margin for error going forward. So, like, if yeah. you win tonight, then maybe you don't have to win – Basically every single game remaining in the regular season. Whereas you know I think you got to go six and two, seven and one at least to put yourself in the conversation. You lose tonight, right out of the gate in this eight game stretch to finish the regular season. It's going to be tough. Let's look at this matchup. Philip Garrett Saylor will start for East Carolina. He threw a couple of innings on Sunday at Cincinnati. He also threw against North Carolina quite a bit last Wednesday. The good news is he's had two days rest, but I think it's going to be a true staff day. Uh, when you look at this matchup. And, you know, something that stuck out to me looking at the previous game is Danny Bill was dominant against ODU. Five innings, I think he gave up one run, but struck out nine. I would expect to see Danny Bill at some point out of the bullpen, but it's going to be a staff day for both teams.
2: It is. And one of the benefits to the staff day, you know, we mentioned this on um, Thursday, that Garrett Saylor, you know, when he comes out, or the pin or he starts with the staff day we see him use more of a variety of his pitches or I guess it's more of an Austin Knight thing but he allows Garrett to throw more variety of his pitches and he really went at hitters a lot last week against Carolina. I think he's going to be able to do that tonight and set the tone for the game. So I really like the staff day in this situation. Um, like you mentioned, you know, 49 pitches just on Sunday, so only two days of rest. So probably will not see as many innings as we did against North Carolina when he threw four innings and 66 pitches. But if he can go out there and get you... Two innings, say, and attack guys, get a couple strikeouts, get this team who hits a lot of home runs uh, kind of feeling bad about themselves after swinging
1: and missing a few times, can really play into the Pirates' hands. This ODU, these numbers, man, this ODU offense are just, it's insane. 297 as a team, which is a good batting average, but they've hit 91 home runs. They got three. They got four guys with double-digit home runs, uh, and they got one guy, Hunter Fitzgerald, who's hit 21 home runs, which is is hard to fathom. I know the ball is carrying a little bit further this year in college baseball, but he hit one, I think, against CCU in the home game that maybe cleared the batter's eye or at least hit the very top of it. I think he had the only the only run off Danny Bill. So Yeah, he had the only
2: home run of the game. It was amazing. We held him to one home yeah. run that game. We actually, hey, we had two, and they had one. That's that's big for us. No wonder we won the
1: game. But, uh, yeah, I think it did clear the batter's eye. Yeah, that dude has some power. I mean, you don't hit 21 home runs. I mean, kind of interesting that he's got 11 doubles, 21 home runs. So if he squares it up, it's leaving the ballpark. Uh, Alex Boucher has 11 Jake Tyser has hit 16 and Camden Grimes has hit 11. So you got guys who can take it out of the yard at any moment. Again, almost with a team OPS of 1,000, they're at 9.42. The good news is, Phillip, pitching wise, they're not great. So you're going to have to score some runs tonight more than likely. They've got a team ERA of 4.99, so sitting at almost 5. 272 batting average against, which, like we were talking about off the air, isn't terrible, but not great either. I think ECU's pitching staff is around 230, which is a much better uh, number. And also, their starter tonight, Vincent Bashara, has a a 6.5 ERA. He's a junior. He's started four games this year, only 20 strikeouts and six walks and 27 innings. So he's going to be a guy that throws strikes, but opponents are hitting 295 against him. So, again, a guy... It's probably going to be a stat day for ODU, stat day for ECU. I'm expecting a lot of runs tonight.
2: I am, too. And another thing I'm seeing here at ODU, their fielding percentage a little better than what we saw in the Bearcats over the weekend, but not nearly as good as the Pirates. Their fielding percentage is only nine sixty seven. They have it, two everyday starters with double-digit errors. So putting the ball in play is probably going to be a little easier against a team like this. We mentioned they don't have a great ERA. And then when you do put the ball in play, hopefully uh, they might give you a couple extra ones tonight.
1: ODU coming in at 30 and 17. They are 18 and 9 at home. They won a series at Arkansas State over the weekend. They're 13 and 11 in a very good Sun Belt Conference in, uh, in in baseball. So, definitely a multi bid league, it looks like, as of right now. Um, and then also, the new projections are out, Philip, and we'll talk about this before we take our, our quick break. Um, but East Carolina, according to Baseball America, we're still waiting on the D1 baseball projections that come out basically every Wednesday at this point in the season. Baseball America has the Pirates as a as a two seed at South Carolina in the Columbia South Carolina region, which is the number seven national seed. They have Washington, they have the Washington Huskies traveling to to South Carolina as well as the three seed. That would be that would be quite the matchup in Air Force as the four. So again, you know who knows what this really means? Other than this, kind of gives you a glimpse of where ECU kind of sits on the on the pecking order right now. You know RPI twenty two. They're just outside that hosting range, I think, which is what makes games like tonight so important. But that would be a tough, that would be a tough regional draw going to South Carolina.
2: It would. I mean, you're facing a an Air Force team who is here. I believe they came in 2018, so I don't know if we have any familiar faces right. on that team that we've seen, but uh, I know the Mountain West is not the level of conference in baseball they maybe are in some other sports, but it's it's still a group of five conference, which I guess we'll get into that power five group of five thing oh, here in gosh. a second, but uh, no, definitely a tough region. I mean, South Carolina, are they not only a good team, a good enough team to host, if you look at the teams that they play day in and day out, I mean, they are used to extremely good competition. I've heard a lot of people saying that they think South Carolina could be the team to beat as along with Florida is, you know, we've all been hearing the number one seed is Curse. Everybody, I guess, is already counting out LSU. But as uh, the number one seed hasn't been to Omaha, and I can't remember how many years now, but a lot, like of people, yeah, a lot of people are high on South Carolina to win the whole thing, so definitely would be a tough draw for the Pirates.
1: Yeah, and, and that atmosphere is tough, especially in the postseason. Um, it would just be a tough place to go play. You look at some of the other regional competition, Wake Forest, Projected the host. They're actually projected to be the number one overall seed as of right now at their LSU drop series this past weekend. We'll see how that transpires going forward. Duke scheduled the host as the sixth seed. Coastal Carolina, Virginia currently scheduled. West Virginia, Clemson. I shouldn't say scheduled, but projected the host uh, as far as right now. So you get got a lot of teams in the region. I think South Carolina and Wake would be the two I'd want to avoid. But again, maybe the Pirates can play their way back into a hosting mix. As well. All right, let's take another break on the other side. We'll try and catch up with Steve Berline, the former Carolina Panthers quarterback, current NFL analyst for CBS Sports, longtime NFL quarterback. We'll talk draft. Maybe we'll find an ECU connection or two as well. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: we back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I Go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game?
1: All right, welcome back into the program. Steve and I go here, Philip Pilkington in studio as well. We talked some NFL earlier. We're going to talk it now as well as we head out to the live line. Welcome in our guest. He is former Carolina Panthers, longtime NFL quarterback, current CBS sports NFL analyst. He's Steve Burline. Steve, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, thank you very much. Glad to be on the show, guys.
1: Absolutely, Steve. All right, so we're going to talk NFL, but this is kind of an East Carolina-centric show. So I want to, I want to ask you if if you got any good Skip Holtz stories for us, because I believe you were teammates with him for at least one year at Notre Dame. He, of course, was the East Carolina head coach here, won a couple conference championships. So we'll leave with that. You got any good Skip Holtz stories you can tell us?
3: (laughs) I got a bunch. Uh, That's that's. uh, I've this is actually a first. Believe it or not, I have not been asked to talk much about Skip Holtz uh, in the past. I've been asked to talk a lot about his father, uh, the legendary Lou Holtz, um, who was uh, my coach for one year at Notre Dame. And ironically, that was uh, the one year that Skip uh, came out to play football at Notre Dame. And uh, so, you know, obviously there's, uh, there, there was always a little bit of nepotism uh uh, argument that uh that, that followed skip around uh, he was a student at notre dame and um you know he he never came out for the football team prior to his his dad's arrival and then when he came out uh he, he wanted to be a quarterback and uh he went over initially to to kind of work out with the quarterbacks and um Lou came over to our group and, and there was probably, I don't know, at that time there was probably, I don't know, eight to ten quarterbacks that were out there, including scholarship guys and some walk-on guys, and Skip was right in there. <laughs> and Lou came over and said something along the lines of, son, uh, uh you, you have to realize I've seen you throw your whole life, and I understand and I know that you are not a quarterback, but you need to get over in the receiver's line. <laughs> <laughs> He, he didn't even get a chance to throw a pass. He was immediately moved to receiver. And, um, you know, he, he obviously uh, did not play uh, at any point during that season, except he did earn his way onto a couple of, um, special teams and, uh, you know, was a, was a competitor and, and, and it ruffled a few feathers, you know, because when you got the coach's son who just kind of walked on and, and all of a sudden he's starting, there's a lot of scholarship players that never, really got a chance to be a a big part of of things, whether it was offense, defense, or special teams, and all of a sudden skips out there. Uh, But he played hard, and he ended up making some plays. Um, The most famous one that you may have heard of at some point was uh, he almost cost us the last game of that 1986 season. We were playing out at the Coliseum in L.A. against the USC Trojans, and uh, we were mounting a huge comeback, and... Uh, the only thing that could hurt us at, at the point, that point in the game it was about a minute or, or maybe it's about seven or eight minutes up in the game. And Skip somehow broke through on the punt team and had a chance to block the punt. And he missed the punt and, uh, or he missed the block, but he absolutely just ran right into the kicker and got called for, for roughing the kicker. And, uh, we thought that might have cost us the game at that point. Fortunately it didn't, but, Uh, We came back and won, but Lou's comment after the game was that uh, he now understands why certain, um, certain animals, uh, devour their young. And so (laughs) he he said that uh, he had thought, you know, maybe ending Skip's short life at that point. Fortunately, we came back to win the game and uh, a lot of great stories with Skip over the years. I've gotten to know him even better, um, over the last several years and a great, great person and a great coach.
1: We're visiting with Steve Burline, Great stuff there about the former East Carolina coach, Skip Holt. Steve, we're going to talk uh, about your, your NFL career, specifically your time with the Panthers. Obviously, you're an analyst now. a ton of Panther fans around here. Let's start first with, with this current Panthers team. They picked Bryce Young first overall in the 2023 NFL Draft. F- from your perspective, do you feel like that was the right pick?
3: You know, I think from a lot of perspectives, it was the right pick. Um, there, there, there are questions, I think, about each of these these guys coming out this year. I don't think there's one quarterback that stood out to me, which is why there was so much discussion about who that first pick was going to be. But, um, you know, the only question that I really have about Bryce Young is his size. And, uh, you know, 5'10", about 185, 190 pounds uh that that to me is a question mark. And I, I've had questions about some other smaller quarterbacks in recent years that have, uh, you know, kind of uh, come to fruition from a durability standpoint. When you talk about Kyler Murray and what he's going through right now, obviously the knee injury, that could happen to anybody. But his size is always going to be a, a question mark until he proves that he can do it consistently um, and, and, and win big games. Uh, with Tua Tagovailoa this past year, obviously the durability was a huge issue, and it's really the only question about him uh, moving forward with it, the progress that he made as a quarterback down in Miami this year, but the durability that comes into play. And with Bryce Young, I think he he all around was probably the most polished, most NFL-ready quarterback in the group. Um, you know, playing that system down in Alabama, it is very similar to an NFL-style offense. Uh, he's very comfortable in the pocket, can make all the throws. He's got good enough arm strength. I don't know he has great arm strength, but he's got good enough arm strength, uh, can make all the throws, knows how to get through his progressions and his reads.
1: Um, you
3: know, he won't be rattled because he's playing a lot of big games. He, I think he enjoys the spotlight. Uh, so all those things I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, the question is going to be whether over the course of a, a 17-game season and, and hopefully further, uh, if his body can hold up and he can be playing at his best at the end of the season, and the only way we're gonna find that out is if you know if he gets to that point, so uh, I'm really excited about him. I think he's a he's a great talent. I think he'll do really well if he can stay healthy
2: Steve uh Philip Pilkington here. Thank you for joining us on the show, lifelong Panthers fan, and I cannot remember a time that the Panthers brought in as many weapons, especially for a new quarterback, as they have this year. Just kind of, what are your thoughts on the additions of, of DJ Chark and Hayden Hurst, and do you remember a time that uh, this franchise has brought in this many offseason weapons, really, other than, I guess, bringing in Greg Olson the one time they brought him in, and uh, when they brought Musa Muhammad back from Chicago?
3: Well, I think, uh, you've seen a really concerted effort from ownership and it's been made very clear over the last couple of years that, uh, this owner wants to win and, uh, wants to do whatever it's going to take to win. Obviously doing things the right way, but, um, everything is about putting a great product on the field that the Carolinas can be proud of. And I, I think this is a uh, a year where he came out and said, you know, we are, we are going to, uh, do whatever we can do to provide the support a young quarterback needs um, and really impressed with a lot of the moves. Like you said, you know, uh, D.J. Jark is a guy that, that I think is at the point in his career where uh, he wants to be that, um, you know, that, that guy and establish himself as a, a true number one, uh, if, 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 if not a number one, uh, one of the very best number two receivers in the NFL um you know and you you mentioned Hurst uh, also um you know there's there's a lot of people that think he's he's going to be a a breakout kind of guy this year as well um but I think in general, the mentality is is really what's most important that, and I think the players understand very clearly um and especially you know it might it might sound a little bit um, um kind of opposite of of what the average fan might look at it, but when you trade away a player like like Christian McCaffrey, uh, who's arguably the best running back in the NFL, you trade him away last year. A lot of people look at that maybe as throwing in a towel, but I think the Panthers looked at it as building for the future and, and really um, trying to make the most immediate impact in, in using the value that they got for Christian McCaffrey and draft choices and going out and spending money in free agency because... Uh, the the cap space that was created by getting McCaffrey off the payroll. Um, I think the decisions are all very sound. And uh, as a young quarterback, Bryce Young should be very excited about the mentality as well as the weapons that he's going to be provided with there.
1: We're visiting with Steve Berline, who spent several years in the NFL from 1987 through 2003 with the Raiders, Cowboys, Cardinals, Jaguars, Broncos, and, of course, the Carolina Panthers from 96 to 2000, he still to this day holds the record for most passing yards in the season in 1999. Steve, what do you what do you remember your most? Or what do you remember the most about your time with the Panthers specifically that '99 season? And kind of, you know, you really did build a uh, an identity here. I think in the in the Carolinas, especially in the Charlotte area, people still resonate uh, with the name Steve Burrell today. So, what do you remember about your time the most with the Panthers?
3: Well, you know, I remember so many things. I I, I really identify um, most with the Carolina Panthers throughout the course of my career. I played with six different teams, but uh, my years in Carolina, uh, even though it ended on a a sour note with George Seifert releasing me uh, for salary cap reasons after the 2000 season, um, I loved wearing that uniform. I loved playing in that stadium. I loved living in Charlotte. The people were so, so receptive and uh, uh gracious to me and, and 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 really embraced me and i think what they respected out of us um, during that time more than anything i think they knew we were a little bit short-handed we didn't have uh the weapons uh maybe across the board or maybe the the depth up front the quality of players uh, uh to really compete for a championship at that time but we were right there on the cusp of of making the playoffs each year, always one game out or, or, I mean, at most two, I think we were one, uh, the two full years that I was the starter and we just competed. We fought our guts out. And, and, um, you know, I know during my time there, I I did not miss a snap during the course of the two and a half years that I was a starter after Kerry Collins walked away and, um, you had a lot of injuries, a lot of surgeries after the seasons were over. But I think that was the mentality of our team. We scratched and clawed and fought and competed our guts out against everybody every single week. And uh, when we came off that field, we always knew that we had left it out there. And, and uh, I was very proud of that. And I was very proud of, of my teammates. And, um, you know, we had some great, great highs, the, the best being the the last play of the game, 1999 versus the Packers Lambeau Field where I was able to, take it in on the quarterback draw to everybody's surprise and um, ended the game on that note. That was truly the highlight of my NFL career, and I think uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Panthers highlight to that point in the history of the Panthers. So um, a lot to be proud of, a lot of great memories. Uh, I wish it didn't end the way that it did, but I love the Carolina Panthers, and I love Charlotte.
1: I know you're you're originally from California and you're still doing some work as an analyst. Have you had the chance to, to come back to Charlotte to, to call any games recently, or just to visit the area, or uh, what? You know, do you try to get back here much at all?
3: Well, I was really flattered last year um, for the New England game. I was inv- invited back by David Monroe, who uh, has been with the Panthers now for geez, going back to almost the very beginning, if not the beginning. He runs alumni relations, in you your historical archive guy for the Panthers and and uh, he reached out to me and invited me to come out and be the former Panther player of the week or featured Panther player of the week I don't know what you guys what they call it out there but I was able to bring my daughter uh, my 16 year old daughter at the time out there for the Patriots game and uh, was recognized at the end of the third quarter um, with a really nice video montage and the fans were so good to me and um that was the, the most recent time I've been out there. It was very, very um, humbling to be received the way that I was. And I can tell you this. I haven't been back as much as I would like over the last several years, but uh, as my youngest goes off to college after next year, I am planning on spending a lot more time in Carolina. And um, I still have a golf membership out there at Longview Country Club, and uh, I plan on putting that thing to good use moving forward because I have not, put it to good use up to this point. I'm looking forward to those days coming
1: up. He is Steve Berline, former Carolina Panthers quarterback, current NFL analyst. Steve, we appreciate the time on today's program. We'll be watching you uh, on CBS, checking out your work as well on CBS Sports Network. And appreciate the insight. I know a lot of Carolina Panther fans around here really appreciate your time in Charlotte. So thanks so much for joining us, taking some time out of your day.
3: You got it. And feel free to give me a call anytime we can get more into the weeds with the Panthers as, we, as they move forward. But I'm, I'm excited about this team and looking forward to big things this year. Go Panthers!
1: Absolutely. That is Steve Berline as we get more into NFL season. Maybe we can visit again with Steve and talk about the Panthers. The Bryce Young led Panthers soon enough. Uh, Alright, back in studio with Philip Pilkington. and We're going to take our final break on the other side. We'll maybe talk some more NFL. We also got to talk about Mike Aresco once again calling out the Power Five versus the group of five. We'll get into that discussion. We could do a whole show on that alone. We'll touch briefly on it next before we wrap up the program. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: Do you ever talk to yourself about where to eat? What's happening? Help me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The
1: Game. All right, welcome back into the program. Fun edition of Hoist the Colors. We just visited with Steve Berline, former Carolina Panthers quarterback, longtime NFL quarterback now an analyst. And so we were talking, so you were born in 98, Phillips, so you don't probably remember any of Steve Berline and the Panthers because he played till 2000. So yeah. I'm going to guess two-year-old but didn't realize what's going on out there. But have you heard, you know, growing up with other Panther fans, any stories, and we were talking like, I, I wasn't a Panthers fan, but I remember watching that 99 game at Green Bay, and I just remember Carolina scoring on the last play of the game, thinking how cool it was the way they won in the venue they won with Burline's quarterback, Gerard. But pretty cool visit with, with uh, you know, uh, maybe not Panthers legend, but definitely a guy that resonates with a lot of people.
2: Yeah, for sure. And what I kind of remember about him is obviously I first remember him being a backup for you guys to Jake Plummer. Yeah. But – um. What I remember being told about Berline was just the fact that he was the gritty player that you know, he kinda talked about the mindset of the team back then and what I viewed the franchise as back in the Jake Delome era, my grandparents especially I remember them always telling me like Berline kinda set that tone, set that you don't have to be the best quarterback but you gotta be the toughest. You gotta wanna win. And um they always spoke very highly of Steve and um so that's kinda what I remember, but yeah, I don't actually remember him on the field, except for the, the famous picture from the right. Green Bay game, him laying on the ground on his side, you know, his arms in the air.
1: And you gotta respect a guy who stuck around in the league for as long as he did and you like you looked through some of his profile, like he had to deal with a lot of adversity. So like I feel like any opinion or take he has on the game today holds a lot of weight because I feel like he's kind of been through it. He's seen every angle, backup, starter, you know, expansion team basically with the Panthers. He also plays with the Jaguars. So it's like he's kind of been through it all, man. I mean, obviously backing up Aikman with Dallas. So just a really cool guest. And, yeah, we'll try and get him back on definitely. Come NFL season, clearly we'll be talking a lot of East Carolina football throughout the Hoist the Colors program. But um, anytime you have a chance to get a guy like, like Steve Berline, uh you to got to take advantage sure. of it. And uh, a lot of Panther fans listen as well. All right, a few minutes left on the program. So yesterday, and Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, which, of course, is the league East Carolina is in, he's been on this for a while. And he released this, uh, you know, yeah, he put in a statement yesterday, which you can go read it online. I mean, if I, if I read it right now, it would take an hour. Um, but he is, again, making the argument that the, the term Power Five, which is not even an official term, was indeed media-created to recognize the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, et cetera, over the Group of Five, which is also a made-up term. He's saying that that needs to be essentially abolished. You know, have we reached the point where that's even possible? Or You know, I appreciate Mike Resco for doing this and we could again have a long discussion on it philip but it just seems like i just don't know what good this this does at the end of the day i don't know yeah
2: i think in was it 2001 i believe when the bcs started yeah, um, Navi- Navi that kind of set the standard and it's is it necessarily something the media came up with no i think it's the people who are making money off this the college right. football playoff committee and all of them that came ESPN. up with it yeah espn but um yeah, I think it's it's long gone. It, when the BCS started, that set the standard, that is the standard, it's unfortunate like so we get into our thoughts on it you know, but we don't have the time, but no, I I think it's done.
1: He does make the very fair arguments that right now there's a bigger divide. Like if you look at the SEC and the Big Ten, those are the clear two top leagues. For sure. And like after that there's a gigantic drop off. So why should the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12 be grouped in with those leagues? Like, to me, I think that is a very fair argument. Yeah. Now, how far is that argument going to take it? I don't know. At the end of the day, Power 5, G5, whatever, certain leagues are making more money than other leagues. Right now, East Carolina is in the best of the you know the next five. Uh, the Big 12, teams like UCF and Cincinnati left the American because of the monetary gains they can get from the Big 12. with Look, if ECU had the chance to go to the Big 12, they would go to the Big 12 for money. So it's, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, the leagues that make the most money are going to get that recognition. And I hate it for ECU because I do think it is unfair, but it is what it is. So we'll maybe discuss this more throughout the week as we uh, get going. But, Philip appreciate your time today, man. Thank you. And uh, thanks for being in the studio. Tomorrow we're scheduled to have Deshaun Amos, former ECU DB, uh, CFL player on the program as well, we we'll Recap, ECU, ODU. You've been listening to Hoist the Colors on 94 3 The Game.
0: This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game. Ottavola in Greenville is your local marketplace. Ottavola offers diverse menu selections, casual lunches, and family meals ready to go. At Ottavola, they specialize in the creative use of fresh ingredients, seasonal menu selections, and fun culinary